4: Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: So uh, we, we had a nice off-air segue into this that said, uh, speaking of band... Uh, today's episode is something that ruffled a lot of feathers when it came out. This
2: classic is about banned books of the Bible, mm-hmm. like the Book of Van Halen, the Book of Led Zeppelin. The no,
0: okay. uh, y- you know, why not throw those in there Get it for some books, version?
2: Banned, it's Ooh.
1: never mind. There's the Book of Banned Books, which was kind of shooting itself in the foot from the get-go, I think. It was a little meta.
0: But but in this case, we're talking about, I believe, Enoch and several other fascinating possible books of the Bible. And we'll talk about in the episode which ones may have been in there, may have been just a completely different book, not written with the Bible, but kind of matched up. But we'll talk about it.
1: It's so fascinating, isn't it? Still, like the um, there's this assumption we make sometimes as a species that the book you know as the Bible, whether that's the uh, King James Version or, or what have you, that that book was somehow whole and complete when people started reading it. It could not be further from the truth. People were fighting about which book goes where all the time. People still fight about translations. Uh, it's it's a lot more like a mixtape or kind of collaborative uh acrimonious
2: writing exercise. Sure I mean they say history is written by the winners and the same can be said of the Bible. that's right so let's let's dig into it. It's long the the
0: Bible the episode is is actually pretty moderately sized so enjoy.
2: From UFOs to ghosts and government cover-ups, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know.
0: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt and I'm Ben, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. So, right off the top, we uh, we see that you guys have been enjoying our series on the Bible mm. and apocrypha and things of that nature, and we got some feedback from some of you. So, right off the top here, we're going to we're going to address some of the things that you wrote to us.
1: Absolutely. Uh, first things first, we owe a big thank you to John F and Nate S, uh, both of these guys separately wrote in to, uh, give us a correction and we welcome those where John says, Hey guys, just saw banned books of the Bible episode. Looks like you generally did a great job with your fact-checking. There's one piece I thought would breed more confusion than education. About one minute in, you mentioned that some books only exist in one version of the Bible. While you're saying this, you're showing the title page of the Book of Mormon and captioning First Book of Nephi, Book of Mormon. This confusion would be that the Book of Mormon never claims to be a version of the Bible or a missing book of the Bible. It's an entirely separate book of Scripture that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints asserts is harmonious with the Bible. So, he goes on to say, the Book of Mormon does mention the existence of plates of brass, a version of the scriptures that existed at about 600 B.C. Uh, And they evidently contain the five books of Moses, Isaiah, and some of Jeremiah, along with some other uh, lost writings, writings of Zenoch, writings of Zenos. But again, the Book of Mormon itself is not really a missing biblical book. And uh, Nate wrote in to say uh, very much the uh, same thing that the Book of Mormon is a totally separate book. And we appreciate that very much. We also want to move on and reassure our buddy Sandy Rogers out there on Twitter. Sandy, you wrote to us. You're an Old Testament scholar and uh, you wrote to us with something that was an editing error on my part. There's a part in there where we talk about uh, the first five books of the Bible, and the date there is listed as 1250 B.C. as those books becoming accepted as law. That is incorrect, and that editing error came from one of the things that I was doing at the time. And guys, I started out with a script that would probably be about 10, 10 pages long. Mm-hmm. And because there's so much to talk about with this. And so I was shaving the script down further and further and further, uh, especially the complex process or evolution, right, which is weird, but it's the best term for it, evolution of the Bible, that I had messed up some of the dates when I was cutting things down and smushing them back together. Uh, you can find reference to... Uh, this date specifically, the 1250 BC date in a, uh, excellent straight dope article on the authorship of the v- Bible. It's a, it's a five part article. Mm-hmm. I think this is in part one because logically it's at the beginning with all that out of the way. And thank you to Sandy, Nate and John again. Uh, we still had a
0: pretty kick-ass episode. Oh, I think so, and a lot of that was due in part to our Working With All-Time Conspiracies again, one of our favorite YouTube channels. Mm-hmm. Uh, really appreciate it, guys, if you're listening, and hopefully if you're listening to this, maybe you like that channel too. They're tremendously exciting. I I, I watch their videos on the edge of my seat. Every yeah, time.
1: if you like our show, you'll like theirs, theirs as
0: well. Uh, and one other thing I want to just mention here, Ben, and I want to get your opinion on it, I noticed that there were a lot of YouTube comments saying that they disliked our use of BCE, as in before Common Era, and CE, Common Era, rather than BC and AD. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the, at least from a, uh, a handbook standpoint, a writing handbook standpoint, that is the correct way to write that, is it not?
1: Uh, it's a it's a stylistic choice, uh, one that I honestly couldn't care either way about because you know we we get the language and these conventions descended from a legacy of other use the modern environment right admittedly more secular than when the terms bc and ad were made the idea before christ and then after the death of christ and in many cultures that do not you know, do not have a large Christian population, you might see that date used just because it was around, and it's mm-hmm. what people understand.
0: It was the know? common date.
1: Right. And it's kind of like how when people say awesome, at least in the United States, they don't mean awe-inspiring. And when people say brilliant in England, they mean okay. Yeah. Uh, this, you know, this is an interesting question for you to bring up here, um, because From what I understood when I was looking at a lot of the comments, uh, people thought it was going out of the way to be politically correct, I believe.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I saw mostly. But I think, again, uh, what is the name of that style guide that all good writers use?
1: There's MLA and there's
0: APA. The APA is the one that I've always ended up using. But I know in there it -hmm. it states that. CE and BCE are the correct way now.
1: Ah, yeah, and you'll see BCE uh, and CE in quite a few academic papers as well. For For our purposes, you know, I, I don't mean to sound disrespectful to either secularist or the religious, but uh, for our purposes, they're, at least as far as I'm concerned, they're markings in time. But I know that a lot of other people care much more deeply about mm-hmm. this and if there's an overwhelming thing if you have an overwhelming reason why you think we should use bce and ce or bc and ad uh then please write in because that matt i think this is something a little closer to you than it is to me to me it's kind of either way
0: it it's either way for me. I guess because we were making an episode specifically about the Bible and Jesus, maybe uh, people saw that there was some kind of discrepancy there.
1: That's a good point, but I think we've done BCE and CE for a very long time.
0: Yes, on our show in total, and we probably had a lot of new people watching that video mm-hmm. because of the all-time conspiracies mm-hmm. thing. But anyway, I just wanted to get your opinion, because...
1: Yeah, I'm interested interested to uh, see what people think. The the point of it being bad for the sake of political correctness, I guess that's a valid perspective for sure. I could see it, but that's not why we were doing it. Sure. Or that's not why I was doing it. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what the motivation is.
3: I hear you. This is it. Your moment.
2: Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the
1: deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
0: With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand. Attempt to hire part-time or
2: full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer.
1: Yes, Snagajob's got a worker for that.
2: With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill
0: available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you
2: need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right?
1: Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to
2: an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. All right, well, let's jump into some of the core of what we
0: talked about in our, our video series. And the first thing that we looked at is apocrypha. And what is apocrypha? Apocrypha would be, if you defined it, the writings or statements that have dubious authenticity. I l- really like that uh, phrasing, dubious authenticity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, We're not really sure who wrote this. That's very polite. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's very BCE. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man! But it has another meaning as well, in the proper sense, when you know when it's capitalized. It can refer specifically to books that were included in the Septuagint and the Vulgate, but excluded from the Jewish and
0: Protestant canons of the Old Testament, right? That's right. And there are a lot of early Christian writings that were not included in the New Testament.
1: Right. And the, uh, the origin of it, the etymology is the, uh, is Latin and it means secret, not canonical, comes from Greek, apocryphos, obscure to hide away. Apocryphos he, is
0: one of my new favorite words.
1: I know. It sounds like a DC villain, doesn't it? Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Apocryphos. Uh, yeah. So we know that apocrypha can have a very specific definition depending upon one's denomination. Uh, one thing that we discovered as we were working on our series is that it took a while for Christianity in general to develop a canon. And in depending upon the the type of Christianity uh, that we're looking at, that canon or that idea of what is canonical changes. And we talked about how when people were deciding what to leave in the Bible, what to make official, then they would give themselves kind of a rubric and they would say, well, we'll leave it in the Bible if it is from the apostles if it is clearly inspired by god and
0: true and not written by people okay let's put it this way ben i'm going to come to you with some books uh and these are books that these are writings early writings that i want to have included in the bible Mm -hmm. and uh here are some reasons that you say no dude okay all right i'm into it so i come to you with you this book and it's obviously fraudulent. It was created far after the original works that were that are already included in what you think should be the Bible. and they're made to create some kind of political point or stance hmm. or maybe a statement mm-hmm. um, maybe even to sucker somebody into believing a certain thing. Ah, I see, okay. but that... they're they're obviously fraudulent. okay, like let me write the end down here. yeah, real quick. okay, yeah. yeah, I see. or if I came to you, with a book that you believe is not inspired by God or written instead by a man or somebody that you know to be a man. Mm. Um, just a human being, you're like, okay, that's Bob over there. He definitely wrote this. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's probably not going to go in.
1: Okay, so something like, uh, and Mary spake unto the masses saying, Bob
0: Well, yeah, is it's- awesome.
1: <laughs> and I mean that in the real
0: sense of the word. Especially if it's quoting Jesus, perhaps. Ah, I Right? See. I mean, that's... Yeah. You can't put that in the Bible. Okay. Here's another reason. I bring a book to you that has glaring errors, like historical errors in them. So, such as the book of Judith, where it said Nebuchadnezzar second was the king of... Uh, what is it? N- Nivea?
1: Oh, I don't know how to yeah, say it. Oh, Nineveh. Nineveh. Nineveh, Nineveh. The king of, yeah.
0: Rather than Babylon. I which see. Which he was the king of Babylon, at least historically.
1: Ah, okay. I see what you're saying. So... Matters of known secular fact, for instance, are wrong, or maybe they these books contradict things that are already
0: set forth and agreed on in the canon. Exactly. Perhaps someone was trying to rewrite history, as we have seen. People are wont to do sometimes. Mm -hmm. The last thing is if it's heretical, or it's against the doctrine that's already in place. I see. So, yeah, you really don't want to mess with the current canonical belief system, because You do that, and uh, back in the day, there Uh were probably some serious consequences.
1: Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. So we also have examples of some of the books that were banned. So we asked you, if you watched the YouTube episode, to suggest for us in our update video some books that we should take a closer look at, and we just wanted to run through a few of those. Unfortunately, as we said in the video, we couldn't choose everything, Uh, but one of the first
0: ones was the Book of Enoch. Yeah, in in the Book of Enoch, it describes in great detail all of these different uh, trips that were taken by Enoch to heaven in various forms. So the Book of Enoch itself is separated into these five sections. You've got the Book of Watchers, the Book of Parables of Enoch, the Astronomical Book, the Book of Dream Visions, and the Epistle of Enoch and each one of these different sections of the book of enoch has its own take on christian history and it gives you all kinds of interesting concepts that have been used throughout time so it's it's a fascinating book and i'd recommend anybody who has the time go out and find a copy or you know find it online somewhere
1: right yeah you can find this online it's not a it's not some hidden grimoire or something like that mm-hmm. and Unfortunately, the same unique takes are part of the reason that this book was banned, or classified, rather, as an apocryphal text. A lot of scholars believe it's because it had these detailed portrayals of the fallen angels, or more ominously, the Watchers. That's the coolest part to me about the whole book. Yeah, to me, that's the coolest part, too. There's a quote here from Free Republic that I enjoyed, and I wanted to just read for you guys on the show here. This scripture reads like a modern day action film telling of fallen angels, bloodthirsty giants, an earth that had become home to an increasingly flawed humanity and a divine judgment to be rendered. So, it does sound kind of like an action movie and if you get a chance, I, you know, Matt, you're right. Check it out and read it, but because of because of the stuff that it dealt with, especially the weird question of that the fallen angels, the watchers, Nephilim, all that sort of stuff. Uh, the Western Bibles don't use it. However,
0: Ethiopian Christians do. Yeah, that's really cool. And it should be noted that uh, a lot of this was recovered through the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, forget the date when those are found. I know we talked about it, but the Dead Sea Scrolls are a whole nother thing. If you have not looked that up, take a moment, maybe a couple hours, maybe a weekend... Just look up the Dead Sea Scrolls. Fascinating Mm -hmm. stuff.
1: Yeah, cancel what you're doing for the next day.
0: Yeah, well, if you're interested in this stuff at all, you probably already know about it. But even Mm -hmm. if you're not, uh, there's some crazy awesome history there. See how I used awesome, by the way? (laughs) I think it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: and next we have a little something called the Gospel of Mary.
0: So this is the second of the banned books of the Bible, and it was carbon dated between 1800 and 120 A.D. So there's a bit of a range there of when this could have been uh, produced. The Gospel of Mary looks at the relationship between Jesus Christ and Mary Magdalene. Mm -hmm. So as the writings go, Mary was Jesus's most trusted companion. um, And I use the word companion there to imply what the book implies.
2: Oh, okay.
0: Yep. And a lot of the other apostles really didn't like that fact, Mm -hmm. and they despised her. So in the Gospel of Mary, Jesus reminds the apostles that the inner self is comprised of a couple of things, the spirit, the soul, and the mind. And ultimate salvation, he he says in this, that it comes from within each person. So it's not something that you can go out and get. You have to find it inside yourself. And it's not something you need an intermediary exactly like a clergy for. If it's inside you, nobody has to excise it. You just have to find it. And uh, (laughs) that was was kind of a a heavy blow to the book of Mary Magdalene when people are looking at whether or not it should go in the Bible.
1: Yeah, not to mention the way that it contradicts some of the more patriarchal, Uh, teachings that became, uh, doctrine for a long time. And it's sort of a Gnostic text too. Uh, the idea that Mary Magdalene might have been an apostle, maybe even one of the top dog apostles. Uh, some texts in the Bible, you know, controversially seem to deny women a voice in, in, in parts of it. And again, Mm. this is all, we're, we're talking about a book with multiple authors over multiple periods of time. Uh, this text is often thought to be a major flashpoint for the debate about the role of women in the Christian church. And this idea that Jesus would share secret knowledge with Mary that he wouldn't share with the rest of the gang is uh, something that's going to pop up in another band book.
0: It's, it creates such an interesting picture in my head of the idea that perhaps Mary was kind of Jesus's right hand person. Right. And then all the other apostles are so jealous and angry about it. They just throw accusations. Like, oh, oh yeah. she's a prostitute. Oh, she's a bad person. I don't, I'm <laughs> so i i i'm not saying that that is true in any way. Right. I think it just creates a very interesting picture.
1: Interest. Yeah, definitely. And then there's there's the uh, infancy gospel of Thomas. The gist of it is sort of a young Jesus, Jesus as a kid, uh, and. Again, not to be disrespectful in any way, it made me think of when uh, TV shows have the young version of something come out, like young Indiana Jones. Yeah. And those Prequel. things, yeah, those prequels and stuff, and they don't quite take off uh, successfully either. Yeah. And and there's an, you know, it's not just that Jesus was uh, a, young person in this, you know, before he turned in his 30s and stuff. Mm -hmm. Instead, this is because it depicts the gospel, the infancy gospel of Thomas depicts Jesus in a much different light in terms of behavior and everything.
0: Well, yeah. Okay, well, let's just go ahead and say what it is that was in there, some of the things. So the book deals with a strong-willed young Jesus uh, who did a couple of things, one in particular May not be good for the at least the story of jesus. it It says that around age five, Jesus may or may not have pushed another kid off of a roof, killing him and then bringing him back to life, Jesus style. And that's you know that's that's pretty disturbing, especially to be included in the idea already of this picture that's been painted of Jesus uh, as right. this non you know, well, somewhat nonviolent guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and
1: I think that's a really good point, man. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't. And, and would
0: we, I mean is that a sin killing somebody, and then uh, bring, if you bring him back to life, is it still a sin? Can you imagine the debates that would have to occur? Uh, wow, that's yeah. a
1: really that's a deep question too. And yeah. and the the idea that it could set a such a precedent in the church at large. Wow, that I I see what you're saying. So there's a doctrinal difference there too, and. At this point, I think, before we move on to the next one, it's very important for us to say that we are not in any way criticizing an historical Jesus Christ. What we're doing more so is following the uh, this sort of wonderful tapestry of things that sprang up Again, from, you know, oral traditions and from translations that were not always the best.
0: And sometimes translations of translations.
1: Yeah, definitely. And the, to me, there's something, there's something beautiful about the idea that this sort of thing could exist and all these other, all, all these other variations of it come, come out because, you know, what it kind of makes me think of is if it's, if we take a book that it's clearly written by a person who is a fraudster or something. It's almost like fan fiction, Matt. Yeah.
0: It's so similar to fan fiction. So
1: then, of course, if you're the person in charge of maintaining the actual book after the canon has been decided, then you're not going to include fan fiction. Uh, it's, it's a weird, awkward comparison. But it is very important. Uh, We have one more book that you suggested that we wanted to check into, listeners, and that is
0: The
3: Gospel of Judas. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu
5: From BBC Radio 4 Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
3: is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment oh my god we've summoned something from this board.
2: Snagajob is where America
1: goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
0: With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, Attempt
2: to hire part-time or full-time you name the position warehouse worker retail associate grocery store clerk fitness trainer baker stylist bellhop podcast producer
1: yes yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that
2: with their easy to use platform you're able to
0: seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team
2: to provide all the help you need along the way
0: betrayed Jesus mm-hmm. and got some silver for it and then hanged, he himself. hanged himself. Yeah. Okay, so that's the guy that this story is at least the perspective mm. of Judas. That's what this is about. So, uh, there are conversations between Jesus Christ and the apostle Judas Iscariot and it provides a hard-to-find example of how Jesus interacted with his kind of his closest people, his closest allies. Uh-huh. And the teachings of Jesus are the main focus of this book, and it provides, again, a really unique and interesting perspective on how Jesus used his apostles to kind of maximize his efforts in spreading out the faith that that he was spreading. Right,
1: yeah. So the book of Judas itself, the Catholic Church considers it apocryphal because it portrays Judas Iscariot As a good guy, as a decent person, uh, in fact, it, it portrays him as someone who is doing what Jesus told him to do from the beginning to the end, Mm -hmm. including, you know, including the last supper and taking the bribe and, and ultimately playing such an influential hand in
0: the crucifixion. Okay. This one in particular. It strikes me pretty hard because I, I'm fascinated by the idea that the entire lifespan of Jesus, mm-hmm. if he if he is a, you know, he is God, but not God. But, you know, it there, again, that's a whole nother story mm-hmm. that we can get into. That's the huge
1: doctrinal conversation that they had at the first council of Nicaea, Right. Exactly. Which is not where the Bible was finalized or books were Deemed apocrypha,
0: and and there are all kinds of arguments you can have with, you could argue for a thousand years about this stuff. But the idea that if Jesus could see how his life was going to play out, he but, would know that there is someone, Judas, who was going to betray him, so that he would get crucified, so that he would return back into heaven, right? So in, in this Gospel of Judas is is just wonderfully fascinating to me because I that idea that. In order for Judas to truly, uh, trust Jesus and follow along with what he wanted, he just had to do that thing.
1: Yeah. Controversial to say the very least about it because, you know, Judas is one of the very complex characters in, in the narrative of the Bible. And so to flip it, to have this weird, honestly, to have this weird M. Night Shyamalan kind of thing with yeah. it, uh, where he is not only a good person, but maybe the best of the disciples because he's following orders even unto killing uh, the person who he worships. And this goes straight into Gnosticism, right, Matt? The concept of dualism.
0: Yes. That's where you get as above, so below. Mm-hmm. You get all kinds of fun things from Gnosticism.
1: Sophia, yaldabaoth all that stuff. and Yin-yang, even. In yin Yang as well, yeah, and so of course this book ends up being banned because it's super gnostic in its tone and content. It set Judas above the other disciples, and you know if you have the the Catholic Church, for instance, which was founded on the rock with Saint Peter, right? Mm-hmm. Well, then having Judas Iscariot then be the primary hidden hero, right, or the the, the main sidekick, I guess mm-hmm. he wouldn't be the hero of the Bible, but the main person that's not only controversial, but in a lot of ways, from
0: a from the church's perspective, it could be dangerous. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So I just want to put out here that one of the reasons that this all of these apocryphal texts are so interesting is a it's a matter of perspective. And something we talk about a lot. If you can give yourself enough perspective on any one situation, you're going to realize that uh, once you once you can see it all from all the angles, it is everything. And especially the Bible is so much more complicated than if you just look at it from one perspective.
1: I think that's a really good point, Matt. Then also, uh, this brings to mind a question that I got. I was asked. Years and years ago, and I have been thinking about it ever since, and that question was, to whom does a work belong after it is written? This was for a secular book, you know, with a, a single author that we know of, and I was having this argument with a couple of professors that I knew, and the, the argument that they were making is, well, after a book is written right, a novel, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, the interpretation of it and what it means and the people who own it are the readers or the critics. Now, let's just go ahead and bracket the huge conflict of interest. Of course, a professor or critic or someone whose job is it is to analyze literature would say, well, you know, it's up to us. We're the ones uh, because people like to be important. Yeah. And uh it's the same way that someone who sells tires will tell you that you need uh tires. Yeah,
0: you gotta get those new brake pads, man. Right.
1: And yeah, and usually that's that's true for all the mechanics uh and gearheads in our audience. You guys know as well as I do that people don't take care of their tires. But that's a different show. That's a different show. Speaking of, right.
0: I need to head over to Kaufman, so I'll (laughs) do
1: that. Um, which not Kaufman tires, just this guy we know named yes, Kaufman. <laughs> <laughs> he just collects tires. But uh But yes, the the point that I make there is that a lot of the debate about Apocrypha or the debate about banning uh, certain things from a Bible or creating a canonical version of it goes back to the same old debate about who who has
0: ownership or authority over, uh, the Bible. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons there are so many splits mm-hmm. in the various faiths, mm-hmm. you know, as it's, as Christianity was growing because everybody had a different opinion, at least the people in power, and there you go. You get all the varying versions.
1: And what is also exciting is to realize that while history From our limited perspective, you, Matt, me, everybody listening to this, from our limited perspective, it's easy to mistake history for a static thing or for these large institutions for unchanging things, but it couldn't be further from the truth. They just appear not to move because they have such a longer lifespan than we do. And the truth of the matter is that not only have they Not only have they changed, evolved, omitted, uh, reversed and expanded over time, but those same changes are probably not done. We're, you know, we don't know another version of a Bible may come out. New books may be added and then even eventually accepted. It it really is, um, important to emphasize that the march of history and the growth of institutions is a continual process. It is not something that happened once a few hundred
0: years ago. There are new archaeological discoveries all the time. Yeah, Nag Hammadi, Egypt, 1945. 1945, some of these things were found. Mm-hmm. That's... Uh, man, we just got to keep digging.
1: Yeah, we have to keep digging, and we hope that you will keep digging with us. Uh, so the verdict... The end of the show here is that, yes, absolutely, it was stuff the early church did not want you to know. And that doesn't mean it was necessarily bad. It's just we're trying to get contradictions out of there.
0: Yeah, it was a group of people, varying groups of people over time, that wanted to protect what they thought was sacrosanct.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's the perfect word for it. So we'd like to hear what you think about the Apocrypha. And we'd also like to hear what you think we should be digging into uh, more deeply in the future. Check out our website stufftheydontwantyoutoknow.com, dot com, where you can see all of our videos and all of our podcasts. And Matt, we're uh, all over the
0: internet, right? Yeah, we're on Facebook. We're conspiracy stuff there. We're at conspiracy stuff on Twitter. And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode.
4: You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Thursday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandys.
1: Attention, true crime enthusiast searching
2: for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night. Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief.